Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts with a look at California agricultural news. Early registration for the 2024 Crop Consultant Conference hosted by Progressive Crop Consultant Magazine and Western Region Certified Crop Advisors is now open. The popular event for certified crop advisors, pest control advisors, grower applicators, and industry professionals is the mainstay for all continuing education needs this year and will take place on September 25th and 26th at the Visalia Convention Center. Visit myaglife.com slash events for the early discounted rate of $275 per person, which includes the live conference, a trade show with 70-plus exhibits, first-class dining, entertainment, and a mixer. We'll see you there. California wine grape growers may be victims of their own success after harvesting a larger-than-average crop last fall during a cool growing season that has experts optimistic about the quality of the vintage. The 2023 crop came in at nearly 3.7 million tons, up from 3.3 million tons in 2022. But the production increase comes as U.S. wine sales dropped 9% in 2023, the third consecutive year of decline after more than a decade of flattening growth. The weakened consumer demand and a large bulk wine inventory has made it harder for growers to sell their fruit on the spot market. After sharp spikes in fertilizer prices in 2022, farmers saw some relief last year as prices stabilized. With a 2024 planting season nearing, analysts say they're watching weather issues that could disrupt spring planting and transportation of fertilizers, as well as geopolitics that could affect fertilizer trade and production. Lower prices last year increased demand for fertilizer and usage is expected to continue growing in 2024, but only by 1 or 2 percent, according to Veronica Nye, senior economist at the Fertilizer Institute. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says areas of California that have suffered snow drought this winter, particularly the Sierra Nevada mountain range, are now receiving beneficial moisture. For much of the winter, we've also been talking about snow drought in California's key watershed area of the Sierra Nevada. As we started 2024, we had built up less than three inches of water equivalency in that snowpack. At that time, that was only about a quarter of average for the time of year. And then even by the end of January, even with some improvement, we were still at a little over eight inches of water equivalency throughout the Sierra Nevada. And at that time, that was about half of average for late January. Now, we had the big storms that came through California in early February. Since then, we've seen some additional storminess. So we have seen the Sierra Nevada snowpack improving to 16 inches as of February 19th. Huge improvement, but believe it or not, that is still below average. It's roughly 80% of average. It's a better picture than it was two months ago in the Sierra Nevada, but we still have slightly subpar snowpacks. A lot of those big Pacific storms unleashed their fury across Southern California. We are seeing a little bit more improvement. There is some rain and snow falling throughout Northern and Central California this week. That should last at least through Wednesday, perhaps into Thursday. Thursday. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey. California citrus growers and packers within a Redlands Oriental Fruit Fly quarantine area of San Bernardino and Riverside counties now have a new post-harvest treatment option. The U.S. Department of Agriculture earlier this month approved the use of phosphine fumigation in combination with five days of cold treatment as a post-harvest treatment. That will allow growers to move fresh fruit from non-core areas of the quarantine to areas outside the quarantine. USDA said it approved phosphine fumigation because existing post-harvest treatment options are not economically viable. 
In comments submitted to the California Air Resources Board on proposed amendments to the state's low-carbon fuel standard, the Renewable Fuels Association expressed concerns about a previously undiscussed sustainability certification program and the state's continued delay in allowing sales of the lower-carbon E15 fuel blend. Imposing a third-party verification system for feedback certification places an extreme audit burden on feedstock suppliers and biofuel producers without any clearly defined benefit, according to RFA Chief Economist Scott Richmond, who noted in written comments that the proposal came from nowhere and with no stakeholder input. He said the audit report summaries would need to be designed so that their publication does not result in the disclosure of sensitive or confidential business information. He added that the provision does not even define the general term sustainability and needs extensive stakeholder engagement and analysis before being considered for inclusion in any amendment to the LCFS program. Regarding E15, Richmond wrote that California is now the only state that does not allow the fuel and the RFA and others have been working to ensure CARB has all the information it needs to make an informed decision to allow the fuel. E15 is the leading opportunity under the LCFS to immediately and significantly further reduce greenhouse gas emissions, while at the same time reducing criteria pollutant emissions and consumer costs. The RFA comments also addressed other provisions in the proposed amendments, including allowing the auto acceleration mechanism to be triggered as early as 2026 to apply to consecutive years that would be more effective in supporting a robust LCFS, indirect accounting for low-carbon intensity hydrogen production through power purchase agreements that should be extended to the production of all low-to-zero-carbon biofuels, providing credits to companies achieving a lower operational CI for fuel pathways reasonable, but the multiplier proposal for exceeding the pathway CI is disproportionate, and the requirement that verification bodies or individual verifiers be rotated every six years should be revised. AgroVision, a Los Angeles-based producer and year-round supplier of premium superfruits, has signed an agreement with the Langua Residence Committee in Medu County to introduce large-scale farming operations in the Yunnan province of China. That according to a recent news release. The agreement for a 33-hectare berry plantation begins a first of several agreements for a total of 2,000 hectares. The new Union Farming Operations serves to advance Agro's vision's aim to provide China with premium superfruits 52 weeks a year, according to the company. AgroVision says it grows at scale for consistent year-round supply and leverages select global microclimates, genetics, and innovation across the supply chain to bring to market new premium superfruit varietals that offer a superior eating experience. The Yunnan province, with warm tropical days and cold nights, offers an optimal growing microclimate for AgroVision's leading blueberry varietals, with the first berry production for sale expected locally throughout China in the first quarter of 2025. Central California-based Raw Farms has recalled raw cheddar blocks and shredded cheese products over E. coli concerns, according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. The affected products were sold at Sprouts Farmers Markets, Bristol Farms, and other retail store locations across the nation. The recall involves cheddar with added jalapeno flavor and original flavor in all sizes of blocks and shredded packages. The recall was initiated after 10 confirmed infections due to E. coli. The recall was initiated after 10 confirmed infections due to E. coli were reported from four different states. Only last month, water providers were concerned about the snow drought in the Sierra Nevada. At the time, snowpack was less than 40% of average statewide. But a string of recent storms has changed that. 
As of February 23rd, the California Cooperative Snow Surveys reported statewide snow water content of 85% of average, and David Guy, Executive Director of the Northern California Water Association, said that's the type of trend he likes to see. Things are definitely improving. We started off the year, of course, really slow with respect to snowpack, and I think as the year goes on, it just seems to be catching up uh, further. So I think the good news is, obviously, since the February 1 snow survey, we've just had a lot of precipitation in the high country, and we'll see what that looks like. My sense is that the northern part of the Sierra has recovered and is probably pretty close to, to normal, and then I think the southern's maybe a little bit behind, but uh, hopefully here over the next couple of weeks, we'll get the snowpack back to where it's, uh, it's a full snowpack. As of February 23rd, most of the major reservoirs in the state had storage above the historic average, according to the daily Department of Water Resources report. The one exception was San Luis Reservoir, which sat at 84% of average. Guy said he expected most of the reservoirs to remain above average, even with flood control releases. But he also pointed to 2019 for water managers' cautiousness. That year, they announced initial water allocations, only to have the precipitation shut off for the remainder of the rainy season. I think, as I understand it, this year that we're going to see all of the reservoirs, including Trinity, full for the first time since 2017. So I think that's really encouraging. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the water managers for the projects and the operators of the dams are, I think, all planning for for additional inflow and I think uh, starting to release water in different ways from depending on the reservoir. And I think they're absolutely planning for space for those releases. Obviously, everybody's trying to be very uh, sensitive because I think everybody still remembers 2019 where we looked like we were having a a really wet period. And then, of course, we know that it just turned off and we ended up with the, the dry years in the early, you know, 2020. 22 kind of realm. So I think everybody still kind of has that in the back of their mind. But uh, right now, I think everybody's planning for uh, reservoir releases. And that's sure a very nice thing to, to be doing going into the spring. The Bureau of Reclamation, which operates the Central Valley Project, announced initial water allocations in mid-February. For those north of the Delta, they can expect 75 to 100 percent of supplies, depending on their contract. For settlement contractors south of the Delta, they'll receive 100 percent. The Friant Division, which serves the east side near Fresno, will receive 60% of contracted amounts. And irrigation water service and repayment contractors south of the Delta, such as Westland's Water District, are allocated 15% of their contract total. Guy said he remained optimistic that that amount will climb as the use season grows closer. From what he understands, part of that has to do with cross-Delta pumping constraints due to the presence of endangered fish in the Delta right now. I think the good news is with all this is the one that contract supplies generally look pretty positive and then they, you know, tend to be conservative, right, as we kind of go into the year. So in the Sacramento Valley, obviously, we're, we're encouraged with the allocations to the settlement contractors as well as the 75% to the uh, water service contracts. As I understand it for the uh, south of Delta, I'm pretty sure that those numbers will increase as the year goes on. But uh, at least as I understand it right now, there is, you know, there's some fish issues in the Delta that uh, need to be worked through. And hopefully the water uh, managers and the fish agencies can kind of coordinate on that to be able to get more water down to the uh, export contractors. I think that's really, really promising this year. The State Water Project, which serves about 27 million urban users and about 750,000 acres of farmland, increased its initial allocation from 10% to 15%. 
Again, Guy pointed to memories of 2019 as well as fishery constraints in the Delta for the state's cautious approach. You would think that number would be higher just knowing that Oroville and you know all the other reservoirs are, are, are full. Um, again, I think there's just some concerns that uh, there might be some issues in the Delta as we kind of go through the kind of the late winter and early spring. So I think people are being very conservative on that. And then again, I think also people have in the back of their mind 2019 and don't want to get in front of you know the fact that you know it could dry up and we'd have to kind of be prepared for that. So I think if you look at DWR's news release, it really talks about that they just want to make sure that we have precipitation and continue through the spring so they don't get stuck with that dynamic again. I think uh, we can all assume that these numbers are going to continue to increase as the uh, year goes on, and let's just hope that we continue to get more precipitation in, in a manageable way. This winter, some reservoir operators made controlled releases to maintain what's known as a flood pool. Guy said these folks walk a thin line and releasing enough so the reservoirs have space should we have a flash snowmelt or a downpour. But they can't release the water so fast that it floods downstream towns. At the same time, they can't release too much in case the tap shuts off and the rainy season ends abruptly. Well, that's the fine line of water management, isn't it? And this is why a lot of these water and flood managers don't sleep well at night. You know, they have to really make sure that they're, you know, preparing for, for flooding and, you know, downstream public safety issues. So I think that obviously comes first in everybody's mind. So I think they release water based on kind of what they are forecasting in the in the watershed. I think the technology is getting much better with some of this more informed forecasting that people are using. But we still have a long way to go to become a little bit more precise about that. But yeah, I think we just have to be conservative. The water managers have to be conservative in making sure the water is uh, released so that we don't get stuck with a, a major flood release that could uh, impact some of the communities downstream and as well as the farmland. So I think it's just a really good sign. And uh, let's just hope that as the year goes on, we get a little precipitation that will fill in those reservoirs and snowpack to fill it in into the summer. While groundwater recharge may not be grabbing as many headlines this year as it did last year, Guy said water managers are still pushing to store water underground during periods of high river flows. And he said it will likely become part of water management programs in the future. I know the uh, the governor made a statement earlier this week about being able to move water into groundwater storage as well as other places. And I think, in fact, quite honestly, I think this is kind of the future of water management in California is just making sure that we really capture that uh, water when it is available, typically during the wet years or at least during the wet flashes of, of water. So I think there's just a real concerted effort in every part of the state right now to be able to uh, capture that wet water when we can. And I think we learned a lot in you know the last two uh, drought sequences where we could have been putting more water into the ground, more water into storage during those uh, kind of wet periods so that we would have had it in the the drier, leaner years. So I I think a lot's being learned. I think a lot of managers are really aggressively pursuing groundwater recharge right now. There's water banks that are underway. So I think this is really encouraging for the state of California to better prepare for that next dry year. Momentum for Sites Reservoir, an off-stream facility planned from north of Sacramento, continues to build. During high flow periods in the Sacramento River, water would be diverted to sites. It would be held there until summer for downstream irrigation use. Some water also would be released to benefit fish in the Delta and for other environmental uses. Guy said the governor has certified the site's environmental impact report is complete. The next step will be to obtain the necessary water rights through the state water board.
There's a lot of momentum on Sites Reservoir. I think the goal is to have it uh, built by 2032. So I think there's a real aggressive uh, program underway to try to get there. The uh, Sites Project Authority approved the project uh, in December, uh, certified the environmental document and all the things surrounding that. So that was a real positive uh, step forward. There has been a lawsuit or two filed against the project, not surprisingly, by some of the radical organizations. The good news is there, the governor uh, certified Sites Reservoir under the new streamlined CEQA process that the legislature passed last year. And so uh, Sites Reservoir will have a much more expedited fashion to, to work through the litigation. And, you know, we'll see what the, the judge says about it, but hopefully the project will continue to move. And then the next piece for Sites Reservoir is the uh, water right. There is the application over before the state water board. And the hope is that that water right can be finalized and granted uh, by the state water board either later this year or early 2025. So I think just a lot of really good momentum on Sites Reservoir. I think people are wanting to invest in Sites Reservoir. And so uh, just uh, policy leaders are all kind of squarely behind it. So I think now's the time to get it built. It was nice to have a break in the storms in February so the bees could do their job pollinating almonds. But I don't want to say that too loudly because we could use some more rain and snow to top off our water supplies heading into the spring and summer. This is Vicki Boyd reporting for My Ag Life. Sponsored by the California Walnut Boarding Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has announced a grant program for organizations to provide hands-on assistance to producers applying for the Rural Energy for America program, or REAP, funding. USA is making $16 million available through the REAP Technical Assistance Grants Program to provide additional support to farmers, ranchers, and rural small business owners seeking REAP funds. Eligible recipients for these grants include state, tribal, or local governments, colleges and universities, electric co-ops and utility companies, and for-profit and non-profit organizations. USDA expects the effort to help rural agricultural producers and small business owners apply for REAP funding, provide information on how business owners and agricultural producers can improve the energy efficiency of their operations and use renewable energy technologies and resources, among other benefits. Since December of 2022, USDA has made up to $1.3 billion available in REAP funding through the Inflation Reduction Act. Applications must be submitted by March 15th, as detailed in the Federal Register. The good news is U.S. milk production is expected to grow in 2024. Michael McConnell of the USDA's chief economist office says the bad news is the growth rate will slow compared to last year. Overall, we see milk production projected to continue growing, but at a decreasing rate from what we've seen in recent years. Feed prices are projected to be lower in the upcoming year, but we're expecting tighter global markets for dairy products, which are going to provide price support. And as a result, we're expecting to see a fair amount of price competition in the upcoming year as uh, both domestic and international users compete for products that are in relatively tighter markets. He says for U.S. dairy farmers, it will cost less to feed their animals in 2024. The outlook for feed markets is for lower prices in 2024 and 2025. This should be supportive for margins of milk producers overall. In 2023, we saw a sharp decline in the milk feed ratio. It was the lowest level we had seen it going all the way back to 2012. Later on in the year, 2023, we saw it begin to recover a bit as lower feed prices came to market. <laughs> but generally speaking, we're expecting feed prices to, to abate a bit in 2024, which is good news when it comes to margins. McConnell says they expect cow inventory 
inventories to remain stable for the rest of this year. Though the levels are projected to be lower in 2024 than they were last year, we are expecting to see a bit of a flatter trajectory than what we saw. We saw a bit of contraction taking place in quarters three and four of 2023. We're currently projecting a small uptick in the fourth quarter. You know, as we begin to see prices and margins improve over the course of the year. U.S. State Chief Economist Mike McConnell. The Biden administration is set to approve the petition of eight Midwest states to sell E15 permanently year-round, but with one caveat, implementation is expected to be delayed by one year to 2025. So says USDA Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack as he spoke to ethanol producers and farmers at the National Ethanol Conference in San Diego yesterday. He said he is confident that in 2025 they will have E15 across the country, and this summer they will see waivers as they have seen in the past couple of summers. Earlier in the day, an ethanol industry official said the administration needs to act. By law, EPA has 90 days to approve, according to Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Cooper made his remarks as part of his speech. Cooper said allowing E15 year-round in the eight states would reduce emissions and level the playing field for E15. With regulation of sewage sludge fertilizer mostly unsettled nationally, a pair of Texas farms are suing the waste recycling and biosolids company Cinegro for selling fertilizer that the farmers allege has affected their health, contaminated their water supply with forever chemicals known as PFAS chemicals. The farms involve five individuals who live or own property near Grandview, Texas, which is just south of Fort Worth. CropLife America has announced Alexandra Dunn as its new president and chief executive officer. Dunn joins CropLife America after serving as a partner in the Environmental Safety and Incident Response Group at the international law firm of Baker Botts LLP. While at Baker Botts, Dunn worked on pesticide issues, chemical regulation, water quality, enforcement, litigation, environmental justice, and community engagement. In 2019, with bipartisan support, she was confirmed with unanimous consent by the U.S. Senate to serve as Assistant Administrator for the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's Office of Chemical Safety and Pollution Prevention from 2019 to 2021. CLA Chairman Andy Lee says Alex's experience will provide guidance and leadership in both the policy and regulatory spaces. Dunn responded saying she cannot think of a better moment than the present to work towards agricultural solutions that benefit the public and the planet. CropLife America partnered with executive search firm King Canyon and Reed for the search. From conflict in the Red Sea to drought in the Panama Canal, maritime carriers are facing a number of logistical challenges, contributing to longer transit times and higher costs. Mike Parr, Managing Director of PMLC Frijo, said the challenges have required freight carriers to explore alternative routes and transit options. He said they have had to adapt and find solutions as transit times are longer now and there's an increase in tariffs, but they do their best to offer alternatives like air freight in order to keep prices as low as possible. PML Cifrijo arose from the 2023 acquisition of UK-based Perishable Movements Limited by Cifrijo Group. The merger offers road, sea, and air freight options for perishable products. Based out of France and the UK, the company operates routes that connect more than 25 countries. Parr says despite the challenges, he's optimistic that technological advances can compensate in many cases for longer transit times and allow perishables to remain fresh longer. For some products like Indian grapes, however, maritime transit to the UK is still too long. That means importers are having to source from other regions. 
a lot of product is ending up in the Far East because it's too risky to bring it all the way around to the UK, he said. Vessels that avoid the Suez Canal are doing so by rerouting around South Africa, which adds 4,000 miles to each journey, increasing transport times and freight costs. J.P. Morgan estimates about 30% of global container trade transits through the Suez Canal, which connects to the Red Sea. That has made the Red Sea conflict costly for global shipping. Prices for routes between Asia and Europe have increased nearly five-fold, according to J.P. Morgan. The disruptions could add 0.7 percentage points to global core goods inflation and 0.3 percentage points to overall core inflation during the first half of 2024, according to J.P. Morgan. Parr says one-way PML hopes to establish greater logistical control is through expanding operations. Currently, PML operates a 66,000-square-foot facility at the London Heathrow Airport. By 2027, they aim to increase the space to between 150,000 and 200 square feet. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Map Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. It's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.